0: of you this morning. Let's all stand together. Please take your hymnal and turn to page number 23. Page number 23. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.
1: I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family By his blood Joy tears with Jesus As we travel this sun For I'm a part of the family The family of God You may notice we say brother And sister around here It's because we're a family And these folks are some. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad. House of the King, no longer an outcast. A new song I sing from rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I'm so glad that I'm a part. family the family of God if you're not part of the family of God just a moment you'll have the opportunity to join let's turn over to hymn number 28 and number 28 and let's sing out in the first and last verses of until then my heart can see when I pause to remember a heartache here is but a stepping stone along a trail that's winding always upward this troubled world is not my final home but until then.
0: Shake hands with those around you. Let them know you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house.
2: the holy heights of heaven God sent Jesus down. And now there is a sacrifice for sin There is amazing grace There is a change that comes within each time of sin and grace that's bloodstain, but the story does not end. For there is a tune that i Time of sin and praise. Every the of sin, pray.
0: If you're visiting with us here at Central Baptist Church for the first time, let me get you to raise your hand nice and high. Any first-time visitors, you're here for the first time, okay? Good to see everybody this morning. I do have a few announcements for us. Um, this Thursday at 10 o'clock will be Seniors Chair Volleyball. Uh, we'll put an announcement on our Facebook page from our last event. You'll enjoy that. Um, it's, it's mostly peaceful. You'll enjoy it if you come. You really will. You'll, you'll have a good time. <laughs> Big day is only two weeks away, and I think we have about 100, uh, maybe 150 cards left uh, to pass out. Our young people have been working hard. Bus workers have been working hard, and a lot of you have gotten the cards already, and you've been inviting your neighbors and your friends. And uh, So let's keep up the good work, and let's beg God to do something great. Uh, teen camp is July 8th through the 12th we'll be going back to teen extreme july 8th through the 12th we're trying to get everyone registered before january 15th registration fee after that goes from 45 dollars to 60 so let's get in under that 45 five dollar mark and um, we have registrations in the back we'll make those available Um, also something that we haven't done in a few years that um, out of necessity for a couple different reasons but um this year, I am very excited to say that we're going to be heading back to Winter Retreat at Venture of Faith Camp. The dates on that will be December 28th, 29th, and 30th. The cost on that is $75 per person, and that is a good, good opportunity to send kids and mamas and dads. How about doing this? Um, one of those things that you were going to buy for Christmas, don't buy that. Send them there instead. That's a gift for you and them. Amen.
1: Please take the hymn book out and turn to hymn number 21. Hymn number 21, stand. We'll sing the first verse oh, sweet, sweet spirit.
3: parking lot sealed so anybody's got vehicles that would be on our any of our parking lots here you you need to be sure to move them across the street all the buses and all the vans and and um, I I know sometimes some of our neighbors here park on the parking lot so we need to uh, block that off so that the workers can get in here and get that done and um, also, I'd like to meet with our deacons, have a deacons meeting on Thursday evening, and we'll meet at 6.30. And we'll start out down here at the Smoking Ox, and then we'll wind up no telling where. So, uh, ushers, be sure to, or uh, deacon, be sure to take note of that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings on the offering and pray for those that are sick. Brother King is still having issues. We need to remember him in prayer. And, um, also, uh, Brother Bunch, John Bunch, is, he's uh, having some, from what we thought in the beginning, he's having some additional issues, so remember him in prayer, too. Uh, I didn't bring my prayer list over here, so if you have a prayer request, raise your hand, an, an unspoken request, uh, the Lord knows what it is. Let's look to the Lord in prayer now. Brother Puckett, would you lead us in prayer? Amen.
2: Jesus said that he would rise and rise up in three days. He didn't need a monument to mark his resting place. When Calvary's crucifixion hours at last were finally through, they put his broken body in somebody else's tomb. He didn't use it for long That old grave made a storm For it only took three days And Jesus walked out all alone A victorious Like He said He would do That is
4: why the Savior Amen. Oh.
3: was the book of Samuel, chapter eleven, second Samuel chapter eleven. <clears throat> Good to see Umber and Solomon back. I was praying that they'd get right with God and come back home. I uh, was just teasing there down here, I'm sure, closing out things on their home and stuff and getting getting ready. I I've heard that you already have a home up there. Already have a place. All right, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And let's look first at uh, verse 1 through 5, and then we'll look at a couple of verses in chapter 12. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not that this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Turn to chapter twelve now. Verse seven. Nathan the prophet of God there had been made aware by the Lord of what had happened and so God sent Nathan to David in verse 7 and Nathan said to David thou art the man he was talking about he gave a story about someone stealing somebody's little lamb and so forth and and David said well you know this is an awful thing and and he said that uh, that lamb will be restored fourfold. And Nathan said to David, "Thou art the man." Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, "I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been, if that had been too little." I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commander of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessings on the reading of your word and I pray that you'll help me now. I claim the filling of the Holy Spirit this morning to preach the message in the way you'd have it preached. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll convict hearts. I pray that uh, people will respond to your conviction in their hearts about whatever need they might have. So we ask your blessing now on this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, King David was no ordinary man. He was a man that accomplished great things politically, financially, and materially. Even though Solomon received credit for the temple, the temple really belonged to David. It was his idea. It was he who started what we now refer to as Solomon's temple. David was a man of unbelievable accomplishment, a man of unusual intellect. A man throughout his life could point to the constant intervention of God in his life. Many of us here this morning, we could stand and testify. Uh, When I chose that particular school, uh, I believe that God was in that choice. God was leading in that choice. When I married the woman I married, I believe that God was in that choice. When we had our children, it was a blessing of God. When I applied for and got that job, I saw that God was in it. God, in his wisdom, was in, in that choice. Many could say that throughout their lives, God has been in various events. God has been evidence. He's been seen. David was that kind of man. Throughout the events and the occasions of his life, it seemed that everywhere he turned, there was God. God was there in unbelievable fashion. In his youth, as a teenager, when he was chosen to be king, he was God's choice. He was indeed a man of God. But it sounds paradoxical to to comment that he was a man after God's own heart, a godly man, and yet he's also known as a murderer. There seemed to be something radically wrong with that statement. Nevertheless, it's true. David, the man of God, became David the murderer, the man chosen of God. So, there are some lessons from David's story that are of vital importance to help every Christian avoid some pitfalls into which David fell. How, How could such a fall happen to such a man of God? How could it happen to a man? who is a spiritual man, a a great man, a man of great valor, a man of prayer, a man who loved the scriptures, a man of poetry, a man who used to strum the harp and make songs and hymns unto God. How did it happen that a man of unparalleled devotion to God became a murderer? Well, there's some lessons to be learned. The painful fact is that the holiest people of all, with their eyes turned from God, can bring regrettable sin and shame into their lives. David was a man who knew God. He was a man who sought God, prayed to God, wrote about God, dedicated songs to God. He was a man who had God in his life throughout all of his days. But David, the murderer? How could that happen? Well, it can happen when a man in his Christian life, he grows and grows and then sits down upon what he thinks he has done and takes his eyes off God and turns his eyes elsewhere. All of David's life, God had intervened, and then he took his eyes off God and went down. I didn't go into the details of, of all, all this here, but most of you know the story anyway. Uh, but, but there was a reason that David didn't go into battle. The Bible said there that at the time that kings go into battle, but David stayed in Jerusalem. And David, even after he was told that the woman that he had had sent his messengers to bring to him, he was told that that she was the wife of Uriah. See, this wasn't just a just a you know, just a momentarily thing that happened there. There had been a backsliding in David's life already taking place. I had a, a fellow one time said to me, he said, uh, I don't believe that a Christian can backslide. I said, why why do you say that? But see, he didn't understand. He thought that when you said backsliding that they got lost again. I said, a person who's really saved will not they they cannot be unsaved, but they can get out of fellowship with God. They can backslide. In Jeremiah chapter two and verse thirteen, God looked at his people and he said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now a cistern is not a well. A well is something that has a supply of water from the earth. But a a cistern is nothing but a container that collects rainwater that runs off the house. I remember many times when I was a little boy there in South Georgia, uh, my mom would always have a rain barrel at the eve, eve of the house, and when it rained, uh, the rain would run into that barrel, and she would use that water to wash clothes in and things like that uh, because it was soft, the rain water was soft. <laughs> but uh, but that, was, that, was, that was just simply a container. That's what a, that's what a cistern is. It collects rainwater that runs off the house. God said to the people of Israel that they had become cisterns or collectors, but they no longer could hold the water. They were broken. If a person is not careful, he'll turn his eyes from God for only a moment, and then regrettably hideous sin will enter his life. Most churches have people that are no longer active, Uh, They turn their eyes from God, but how do they do it? It happens when a person avoids those things that point his eyes and his life toward God. He begins to take the Bible for granted, take it less seriously than before. He begins to avoid times of prayer and devotional life and, and meditation before God. He begins to miss prayer meeting. That's usually the first service that he begins to leave off. Then he begins to miss Sunday night service. And then soon it's, it's Sunday mornings. Soon he buys himself a camper and then a cabin on the lake. Before you know it, he has to miss every other Sunday. By then, he's turned his eyes from those exercises that would usually point him toward God. And, and he finds himself looking more at things than he does at God. That's what happened to David. Second Samuel chapter eleven, verse four through six relates that David was up on his rooftop, and he looked next door and saw a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. He sent his messengers; so they brought the woman to David's house. When David committed immorality with her, he sent her back home. And then, when the message came back that she had conceived, he then decided to have her husband killed, so that he could add her to his harem. How would a man ever get so caught up in something like that? David, the man of God, became David the murderer. How does a man come to the place where he would kill a man just to get what he wants? That only happens when a godly man turns his eyes away from the matters that put his eyes upon God in the first place. I don't care how spiritual a person may be. doesn't have many, matter how many blessings he's had or how God's been good to him in the past or even how God has blessed him in his life. There never is a time in a Christian life when that Christian can be at ease in Zion. There's never a period when we can quit reading the Bible. We had a man... Said in my office some time ago, Brother Tony said to me, and Brother Tony said, I have not read my Bible in 30 years. Not read my Bible in 30 years. No wonder he fell into deep sin. There's never a season when we can afford to neglect prayer. There's never a moment when we can quit soul winning or quit services or when we can take our eyes off of of those uh, things that are holy and righteous and spiritual. In one moment of spiritual laxness, there can come a temptation through which we'll fall victim and we'll live all the rest of our lives to regret it. If we could have interviewed King David the day before we looked upon Bathsheba and asked him, David, would you ever commit immorality, adultery, would you ever commit murder in order to get what you wanted? And David would have replied, No, a thousand times no. I'd never do anything like that. But he did. He did exactly that. When a person loses his spiritual focus, when he rivets his eyes on ambition or or a job or a position or on anything other than God, he's in danger of tragedy and heartache. David turns his eyes from God and he turned a nation and hampered his life. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw uh, draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me. David became too familiar with the sacred. It's easy to handle the Bible so loosely that it's no longer sacred to us it's possible to see so many baptized that it doesn't remain sacred to us some handle the lord's supper as though it's a time of refreshment some are so loose in church that when they walk in the doors there's no longer a sense of awe of god's holiness or god's presence and power One of the things that disturbs me and worries me, bothers me, is this idea of, of casualness about about the Lord's work, about the Lord's house. Amen. There, there's not that sense of awe anymore. It's it's you know come as you are, come as you are. It doesn't matter if you're in the backyard hoeing potatoes or what. Just come as you are. Uh, I, I believe that I believe that p- uh, people ought to be willing to make uh, make a sense of sacrifice uh, when you come to God's house. It's This is not a 7-Eleven store. This is a place where we have scheduled services. And it's a place that we ought to plan our lives around our attendance in our church. But people are not doing that anymore. I believe this casual attitude is harmful to our spiritual life. I think it's harmful to the to the, to the lack of, of reverence, the lack of awe in our church services. David started taking for granted the things of the Lord. When David went to church, he was given the best seat in the house. He was the king. David heard what David wanted to hear because he'd do away with the priest if he wanted to. He was the king. But he became so familiar with the sacred there was no longer a majesty for him. In the book of Judges chapter 16, verse 30, it says that the presence of the Lord left Samson. Samson was a man of God. Did you realize that, that the Bible says about Samson more than any other man in the Bible, and the spirit of the Lord was upon him? So he was a man of God. But he came to the place, he took his eyes off God. He came to the place to where the, the power of God was no longer on him. He didn't even know it. The Bible says that he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. Because some have taken their eyes off God, God's no longer working with them. His presence and his power is not strong with them. Samson found it out only when he was put to a test. Some people have neglected the things of God and are righteous. They turn their backs on the things that are precious and whole and right, yet they still think they're all right. They would stand in a testimony and service. I thank God for my salvation. Thank God for his blessings. Thank God for my family. And thank God, you know, that I'm a spiritual person. But when Samson was put to the test, He discovered he no no longer had any strength. If some are not careful when the test comes to them, they're going to fail. They're going to discover they've taken their eyes off God. No one is too spiritual to backslide. The best man that ever lived, according to Jesus Christ, was John the Baptist. Jesus said that no man ever born was greater than John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist got in trouble, got put in jail, he said, I don't even know whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. you got to understand, this is the man that introduced Jesus to the world as the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Yeah, this same man came to the point, when through, his, through his testing, through his being thrown in jail and through all that was happening, he came to the point, he said, I don't even know if Jesus is the promised Messiah. Simon Peter, who was acknowledged as the leader of the apostles, he came to a place where he said, "I don't even know the man." Denied that he even knew him. Here, are men who spent time with Jesus, one denied him, and one said he didn't even know if he were the Messiah. How could that happen? Because in every case, those men were put under unbelievable tests. And somewhere in their lives, they got their eyes off of something other than the Lord. A man of God cannot have his eyes on anything other than God. David knew better. He knew better. But after all, David was king. After all, I'm I'm the king. I have a right to do this. You know, if we're not careful, we'll begin to classify what is sinful. Pretty soon, people will find splinters in the eyes of others when they've got a big two before in their own. Jesus declared that it's not what goes into a man's mouth that fouls him up, but rather what comes out that's sinful. Just because one hasn't done those outward things doesn't mean that he's a saint, doesn't mean he's sinless. More harm has been done in Baptist churches by the tongue than by the bottle. There are not many Baptist churches where the bottle is the major major problem, but most Baptist churches have had serious problems with the tongue. To condemn people for a bunch of sins its often to begin to look at others and take our attention off of, off of the Lord and of ourself, our own faults. In fact, it's probably just as bad to be talking about people's sins as for them to commit the sins. So many so many unhappy grouchy, grouchy people with bad attitudes in churches, you know, there's no no sin. We, you know, we think, well, you know, a drunkard, that sorry old guy, or that liar, sorry, and and uh, and often we're not looking in and seeing what what about with us. And we think, well, you know, this sin's not as bad as that one. There, there's no sin that a man can have that God approves of. Let me say that again. There is no sin that a man can have, that God approves of. No sin. We talk about little white lies. <laughs> no, no, all there's no sin that's white. No lie that's white. When I was a little boy, we, um, my, my mom, she, she, you know, I mean, so she was doing the best she knew how to do, but, but she wouldn't let us say lie. You know, a person's a liar, that's a lie. We had to say it's a fib, See, that kind of softened it up a little bit. It's a fib, but there's no such thing as a fib. It's a dirty, black, sorry lie. That's what it is. There ought to be a sign over every Christian church and over every Christian life, no pets allowed, no pet grudges, no pet prejudices, no pet gossip, no pet attitudes. We must get all the pets out of our lives and bow down before him who's holy and righteous. David, David, David backslid. And when he did, he encouraged the enemy. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. Nathan now, Nathan's the preacher. He's the man of God. He's the prophet. God sent Nathan to David. David. He said, David, you've given the people who hate the Lord a reason to rejoice. David you've encouraged it you put fuel on the fire you give Satan a well-opened door when a person talks about people it hurts God but it helps the devil churches as the body of Christ like never before must bind together in the spirit of the Lord and commit to him and to one another you know we're living we're living in I, I never thought that I in my lifetime that that we'd come to the place that we've come here now in America and, and around the world. As America goes so goes the world. You know, it's sad, it's really sad. really sad. I had a missionary one time and tell me he'd been in one of the foreign countries where, where they, have, they had not had the gospel and they were not gospel-hardened as we've become here in, in America. He told me, he said, you know, uh, America, because, because we've, we have been saturated, we've been saturated with the gospel, with the Bible, preachers, pastors, churches all over the place, radio programs, spiritual programs, and uh, now TV, TV, and a lot of them aren't spiritual, but but some of them are. But we've been we've been saturated. He said, you know, America has has come to the place to where they just take all the blessings of God, the Bible, and everything else, just take it for granted. That's true. The churches. We, we must say, Lord, let us, let us may, uh, be pure and, make, and, Lord, make us right and encourage us to be the people that you want us to be. May we never say anything that would give the people who would destroy the great work of God's church reason to be happy. Now, I'm talking about David here. He came to the point in his life, the sins in his life caused a nation to weaken and, and, and caused the enemy Cause the devil to rejoice. Jesus wants us to be right. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to be sweet-natured. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be understanding. He wants us to be soul winners. He wants us to be a people of prayer, of Bible reading, and deep devotional life. But if we stumble, we can still remember that the Lord is our shepherd. David looked over and saw a woman he wanted. One thing stood in his way. His name was Uriah. Many people are just like David, looking at what they want, but there remains something in their way. That which stands in the way is none other than the Lord. Jesus stands in our way for the lost person, he stands in the way of you going to hell. Jesus is a blockade. The Bible is a blockade. Preachers are a blockade. Christians are a blockade to you dying and going to hell. The lost people can say, uh, get out of my way. Get out of my way. I, I, I prefer to do what I want to do. Because I'm lost and turning my back upon every effort to save me, I'm simply saying, I want to die and go to hell. Nobody in their right mind is going to say that, but that's that's their attitude. That's the way they live. Therefore, Jesus, get out of my way. A lot of times Christians say, Lord, I, I want to do everything I want to do. I want to fulfill my desires, my ambitions. I want to do what I want to do. I want to feel like I feel. To drift away and come dangerously close to committing regrettable sin is possible unless Jesus is allowed to get between the Christians and that heinous sin that will destroy their lives. I The idea for this message, I was talking with Brother Matt on Friday, and he's, he's pastored before, so he's... He's uh, realized some of the disappointments that you'll have as a pastor from people that have fallen, good people. I mean, in both the churches I've pastored them, people that I would have thought were pillars of the assembly, people that were, were outward anywhere, were good, godly people. And I've seen many of those people fall Don't ever take your eyes off the Lord. Don't ever let something else become more important to you than the Lord and to his work. Don't let ever any, any other institution take precedence over your church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But, but he never promised that perpetuity to any other institution. too many people begin to put other things before the church they begin to miss church services because they're attending whatever those meetings require it's a dangerous thing Christian it's a dangerous thing we often often preach uh, Brother uh, Tony and those in the youth department preach to the young people Um, be careful who you associate with be careful who your friends are in almost every case where where I've seen people in, in our in our church that have fallen, it's because they got with the wrong company. And it might even sometimes be people in the same church. But they're not good for you. They're not good for you. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the message, bless the invitation time. I pray that you speak to every heart. If there's someone here this morning without Christ, I pray that they'll come and let us show them how they can be saved, how they can know that when they die, they'll go to heaven. If there are Christians this morning that need to get right with God, that need to come rededicate their life, I pray that you help them to come. Lord, whatever the need, need may be, and I know that we all face. Uh, things throughout the week that that um, become a burden to us. I pray, dear Lord, that that you will help each of us this morning uh, to do what you'd have us to do. May no one leave here the hearts not right with God. For I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we sing a verse of invitation song, we're about to come this morning.